0: I'm beginning a new series today, and we're going to be doing an outline of what we believe as Christians, and what Christianity is all about. But I don't want to make it um, just like a a textbook style of going through the, the traditional topics. I want to make it more addressing the misunderstandings that are around today, the current problems that we see around in Christianity and really see what we believe in the in the perspective, from the perspective of our current culture. And so we're going to start, as you would expect to, with God. And I was going to entitle this sermon today, Everything About God in 30 Minutes. <laughs> then I realized that to cover everything about God, it would take two sermons. So we're going to split it into two. Seriously, um, <clears> though, <throat> it's useful to, to step back sometimes and see the larger view. And because you could you could take you know two years as a series of sermons and only cover a small aspect of God, but then you're kind of focused very very much in, and you can't see the wood for the trees. And so sometimes it's useful to step back and just see things in a bigger context. And so what I want to look at today, I'm actually splitting it into two. I'm, today I want to look at what is God like, and next time I want to look at God as a being and other beings like angels and demons and and the whole kind of spiritual world and what it is. So my key points today is I want to talk about how God is different to us and then I want to talk about qualities we share with God and then our experience of God and particularly the experience of some of these things which are intention. And I'd first of all like to look at the Old Testament and then move on to the New. So I'm going to, I'm going to cover quite a lot. So some of the things we're going to go through quickly, some are going to take more time on. But to start with, let's address this question. How is God different? And there's some, some things I'm sure we all know about God that uh, God knows everything that the theological word is he, he's omniscient. He knows every thought that we have, even before we have it. He knows everything that's happening in the universe. He knows the beginning from the end. The second would be all-powerful. And um, this, I'm sure we know, there's no limit to his power. Uh, Although there are some today who are... Suggesting, well, mean, we, you know, God needs us to do certain things. We will talk about that next week. That's not what the Bible teaches. God doesn't need anybody to accomplish His purpose. There's, he can do everything He wants to do and needs to do Himself. Um, another, another point is uh, we talk about God, you know, being from all eternity in the past and not having a beginning or an end. But actually, it's better to say that God is outside of time. It's not that God. Uh, had a beginning or di- didn't have a beginning. It's that the whole of time that we have is, is something that we, as humans, are, are in sight. And it's difficult for us to think of someone who's outside time, who sees the beginning and the end and sees everything like a map laid out in front of him. So God is outside of time. Now, these are the characteristics that we don't share with God. So I'm sure that we all understand this—that this is the, 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 the distance between us and God, outside of space. You know, when when we talk about heaven, it's not actually a physical place; it's a concept of, of a spiritual reality that God is in, and it's not somewhere you can physically locate. So he's outside of space. Um, another element, which is a little more complex, is to say God is unchanging. So um, God is not doesn't have one view yesterday, one view tomorrow. God isn't someone who is, the technical term is, he's immutable. But um, nevertheless, it's a little bit more complex than that because God, um, God became man. And he became something that he wasn't. And Jesus um, began the new creation as part of himself. And so he began something new. So when you say God is unchanging, that is absolutely true. But that does not mean to say that God does not have experiences. And so a little bit more complex than that, which we can talk about next week. Um, and the last one, which is very important, he's got no needs outside of himself. Sometimes Christianity is portrayed that, you know, God was lonely and he needed us, so he created humanity and he saved us because he was lonely. Well that is not something the Bible says. God acts purely out of his own desires, not out of needs. God doesn't need to do something. As soon as somebody has needs Outside of themselves, it means that they they 're constrained that they have to behave in a particular way or they need to in order to meet those needs. God is not limited, so anything that God does is in complete freedom that he 's not controlled by having to meet some need in himself so um, so this would be ha- some of the ways that God is different and there may be some other ways these are would i think would be the the ways we can highlight in this and um the difference between God and us is something that when we have an encounter with God, and when there are stories of people having an encounter with God, it's very, very scary. It's very um, fearful, would be the words. And we're going to have a look. We're looking at the Old Testament to start with. We're going to have a look at Exodus chapter 19. And we're going to see when um, the Israelites engaged with God. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. This is Mount Sinai. They've come out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness and God is about to make them a nation, give them the law, give them the Ten Commandments and, and organize them as a nation with a temple and everything. <clears throat> uh, The thunders and lightnings on a thick cloud on the mountains and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp. So these are thousands or tens of thousands of people that are coming out to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. So you can think of this massive mountain, and they're gathered at the foot of it, and the mountain seems to be on fire. It's trembling. This is a terrifying experience. (laughs) And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. Well, we have the story then of of God speaking and the Ten Commandments being given. And then at the end of that, we're just going to jump ahead um, to the the end of chapter 20. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood afar off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may go before you that you may not sin. The people stood afar off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So here is this encounter with God. And so what happened was Moses went up the mountain and God gave Moses the the stone, Ten Commandments, and, and Moses spent 40 days on the mountain with God. And at the end of that time when Moses came down, do you remember what they, they thought when they saw him or their experience of Moses? Anybody remember? His face was shining so brightly they were scared and he had to cover his face. So even being in God's presence made them scary at this time. So, um, but nevertheless, and we're going to come onto this at a moment, Moses saw another side of God. So when Moses was on the mountain, was Moses scared? He wasn't. He was, he was filled with awe, but he actually saw another side of God. He saw a side of a God who was, it was terrifying, but nevertheless would keep him safe. So this brings us on to the second set of qualities of God I want to speak about this morning. And these are set of qualities that we share with him. And uh, there's, we share with him because he's created us to bear those qualities with him. So I would like to see if anybody here can suggest some of those qualities we share with God before I give you a list. Yeah? Caring, Caring. great. Sorry? Loving. Loving. Yes. That's good. Yes. Rational. Rational. Yeah, it's good. What other things? Yeah. Creative. Creative. Organized. Sorry? Yeah. Yeah. Any other things? Mm? Provider. Provider. These are all good things. Yeah, they're all good things. Well, I want to, um, you've got some things that aren't on my list. So well done. But what I want to do is to, uh, to, to, to give some things that, that actually maybe weren't on your list. First, I want to say he's emotional. And some, there are some people who, who have struggle with that as if emotions are weak. No, emotions are not weak. Emotions are a sign of being a person. And we have emotions because God has emotions. We, we can feel anger because God can feel anger. We can feel love because God can feel love. So we actually derive that from Him. Um, our emotions can be inappropriate at times. They can lead to, to weakness or, or a lack of control. But God's emotions are not like that. Nevertheless, God has emotions. The whole range of emotions that we have, uh, except for, of course, um, uh, being afraid god is not afraid but things like the, the positive emotions like um uh, uh being um loving and being uh, uh being um uh, I wouldn't say excited because i'm not sure if you describe god as being excited but being joyful so on god enjoying um and also some of the ones we would call negative like being angry would be would be and even even sorrow like it speaks about god having grief at uh, times, so so that would be an, a, a key part of, of emotion, and this would be something that would distinguish the God of the Bible, the God we believe in, from some gods of other religions, who would be seen. For example, Allah would be seen as someone who who has no emotions; that he he just is. Uh, the next thing. It would be it was knowable, loving and attaching. Now I've put these things in order because there are three aspects of being um being relational, being being someone we can have a relationship with. Um the first thing to have a relationship with someone you need to know them. You need to actually be able to get to know something about them and feel they know you and that's be the first level. Um, the second level would be loving that they love you and you love them. But the third level, which is quite extraordinary, is I've described as attaching, where we have a commitment. A a God delights in making permanent commitments, like, I will love you forever, I will never leave you or forsake you. And that, again, is something that is so radically different to all of the other gods. So you would never say that about Allah, you would never say that about the pagan gods, that they would... They would have this level of commitment to human beings, and so this is—and this is something that he's put in us—that we have these capacities to 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 know, to love, and to commit and attach to others. Um, the the next one coming out of that uh, to be able to commit, you need to be trustworthy. Do you need to be faithful? And so God, the, God's uh, personal faithfulness is something which he's given to us and values very highly in us when we trust and we are faithful. And God keep, treats this as a very important part of his character. So when you look at God, God talking about himself in, in the prophets and, and, and when, when Jesus is speaking, the fact that he's trustworthy is so important to him. Self-giving. Now, here is something which is... Um, most clearly revealed in Jesus Christ, uh, but is there to a certain extent in the Old Testament. But we're going to see in a minute uh, that Jesus is the fullest revelation of God and the culmination in Jesus' revelation of God, of what God is like, what his character is like, was on the cross. And on the cross, Jesus uh, sacrificed himself for those he loved. He put, he allowed himself to die for those he loved. And this is quite an extraordinary characteristic that for somebody to actually deny themselves for another. Is something which we regard as the highest quality. You know, you you think of you know somebody in wartime when they sacrifice themselves so that their fellow, their other people can live and how great this is. The fact that God should be like that almost doesn't make sense. That God should actually be self-sacrificial and sacrifice Himself as God, the most important being in in the universe, for others, and actually not just do that, but regard that as one of the highest points of his character. So at the peak of his revelation of what God is, which is on the cross, he does this. That is quite extraordinary. And that, again, is wholly unlike any other kind of God, of any kind of religion, apart from the God of the Bible. And then linked to that is compassion, that he's the one who's compassionate, the one who has a heart for others. And we'll talk about this in just a minute Then, uh, as Anne mentioned, creativity. He loves beauty and artistry. He loves just to create something wonderful. So Anne and I have a bird feeder in our back, in our backyard. And we have big glass windows at the back so we can see it very easily. And seeing the birds that land on the bird feeder and these extraordinary creations where every feather is perfectly designed to give these birds flight. And they're so small and they're so perfectly tuned for their environment. And they're so different in the colors and so on. Everyone is different. And it's just an amazing display of God's creativity, and that's one of the reasons why I don't believe that this world came about just by random chance, because it's just got such a stamp of beauty and design on everything. It's, you, you look at the, the trees out of the window, I can see a tree just coming into leaf there, and the the way the trees grow, and just the, the the plant world is just extraordinary. And almost like God likes to play jokes and do fun things. Like, he's gonna have a plant that's actually can catch insects. It's got little cups, you know, can cat, and, and, he's got, he's got, um, uh, things like, that look like mice, except they've got wings and they can fly, and they're called bats. And he just loves to kind of play games and just show how creative he could be. What I make about making a great big bear-like animal that jumped along and bounced along and would we'll call it a kangaroo. You know, all the weirdest things things that he's made and they're most unlikely and he does it from creativity. So when you look at what God has done, you just see wonder and beauty and creativity, and that's something He's given to us. So, if you love to be creative, if you love making things or making things beautiful, you need to know that's part of God in you that does that. You're being Godlike when you make a wonderful song, or you make a, you make some, you cook some beautiful food, or you 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 do do some some, some something artistic. You're being God-like when you do that, because that is something we share with God, and we only have it because God has it. And then, um, God is passionate about the truth. God is so passionate about the truth, he hates lies, he hates falsehood so passionately that he wants to destroy it. The same with justice. Injustice makes God so angry because it is such a damaging thing. It is so against who he is. In fact, you could say passionate about all of these things. He's passionate about being faithful. He's passionate about being compassionate, about being loving. And because of this, God is angry about things that, that damage people. He's angry about things that bring, that bring, um, Pain that brings suffering. It makes him angry when there's injustice. And God has a commitment to dis- to destroy the bad, to destroy the evil. He is a committed, very, very fundamentally committed to destroying everything that doesn't share these qualities, that shares the opposite of these qualities. <clears throat> so, uh, so what I want to, the, the main thing I want to do this morning, is to get the idea of two aspects of God that we have trouble holding together and bring them together and, ex- and really try and experience those two things together. And these two things are how terrifying God is on the one hand and how I'm safe and loved on the other And often we tend to, in Christianity, emphasize one or the other. So some branches of Christianity major on how terrifying God is. And some other branches would never want to speak about that. They talk about, you know, how nice and cuddly God is and what a wonderful friend he is. And, you know, he can be a friend to you anytime you want. And really, we need to have both of these. And what my goal is this morning is to experience both of those. And I'm going to take you through some experiences. And the first one is the experience of Daniel. Daniel was one of God's prophets. He was taken into captivity when Israel went to Babylon. And he had some... Uh, a number of experiences i'm sure you all know about his experience with the lions but he also had some prophetic encounters with god which were quite extraordinary so we're going to look in daniel chapter 10 on the 24th day of the first month as i was standing on the bank of the great river that is the tigris i lifted up my eyes and looked and behold a man "'Clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from uphaz around his waist. "'His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, "'his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, "'and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. "'And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me "'did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, "'and they fled to hide themselves.' So he was the only one who actually stayed. The rest of them just ran off. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me, and set me trembling on my hands and knees and said to me o oh daniel man greatly loved understand the words that i speak to you and stand upright for now i have been sent to you and when he'd spoken these words to this word to me i stood up trembling so here you have both aspects you have the terror of God's presence. And this is not a mountain in fire. This is just an appearance of Jesus. But you see the terror of God's presence, but you see um, an experience of love. Don't be afraid because I love you. And so that's this is the experience I want you to have this morning, to see these two aspects of God and to be able to hold those together. God is scary, and often a very tame God is preached. I don't know uh, who of you have read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by uh, the Narnia stories, but uh, here's a a quote from them that's quite well known. Um, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Aslan is the representation of of Jesus in uh, in this allegory. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I should feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. So this is God. He's not safe. He's dangerous. But he's loving. And so often I believe in Christianity. We've sanitized God. We've made him safe. And in doing so, we've taken away such an important aspect of him. So I want to ask this morning then, how we can experience these two qualities at the same time? Because this is what I'm interested in. Um, Do we destroy one of them at the expense of another? So this was Daniel's story, and I want to give you the story of Hannah now. So Hannah was a, a woman in the Old Testament, she uh, was, uh, her husband had two wives. At that time, it wasn't forbidden. And the other wife treated her horribly because she didn't have any children. And she was very, very, uh, very traumatized by this experience. Her husband loved her, but this other wife treated her badly. And in society, she would have been seen very negatively. And um, so, so, She was deeply distressed, and she prayed to God, and she wept bitterly. And so she came into the presence, this fearful presence of God, but this is how she addressed him. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of warriors are shattered, but those who stumble find their strength reinforced. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. And so she was her prayer was answered. She had a child, and the child was Samuel, who became the great prophet. And uh, she recognized that even though God was so scary, he actually took an interest in the very lowest in society, the ones who were mocked, the ones who are ridiculed, the ones who were devalued. Actually, God cared about them. And she could see, here's this This apparent opposite in God, he's so great, there's no name like him, yet actually he delights in raising the poor up from the dust and the needy from the ash heap. This is the God, and this was her experience of God, and she wrote this about him. So this was some experience in the Old Testament. Of these two aspects of God, and I could take you through more of them. I could take you through the dedication of the temple when Solomon create, built this temple, and God's presence came down, and it was so strong that they couldn't even go in. The, the strength of the, the presence was so strong, and yet God spoke to them in love, and He spoke to them in tender words. Um, but as so we move to the New Testament. The book of Hebrews tells us something very interesting. I'm going to read the first few verses. It's contrasting not the God of the Old Testament. It's the same God, but what we learn about how the God is revealed to us. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So he's talking about the different books in the Old Testament. Some of the books are are you know, the the Prophets telling the story. Moses is telling the story. Some are direct prophetic revelation. Some are David writing psalms. Whatever way um, God is speaking to the fathers, He says, "But in these days He's spoken to us by His Son." And literally, the Greek is saying He's spoken us to us in a son-like way, in a sonish way. So it's not a prophetic way, a way through prophets through others. He's spoken to us in a son manner. He's spoken to us through Jesus, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. So this Jesus is no less scary. Uh, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So would you get that? I've highlighted exact imprint of his nature. Because what it's saying is that when you see Jesus, you don't say, oh, well, this is part of, you know, it's one one aspect of God. You know, Jesus is showing the friendly side of God. No, Jesus is actually the exact revelation of God, much clearer than the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it came via prophets, it came by different ways, but now it's coming directly. So it's it's much more precise and it's much richer and fuller. What was in the Old Testament was not wrong. It was not inaccurate. It just wasn't as full as what comes in Jesus. So this is a primary difference when we're reading the Bible between the Old Testament and the New. There is more light in the New. The old is, is, is true in every way, but to understand the old, you need to take the light of the new and shine it on the old and illuminate it, and then you'll understand it. So you'll see the prophecies about Jesus. You'll see God's God pointing towards things with symbols and and actions that are about to happen and going to happen in the New Testament. So then this is this Jesus. And Jesus exemplifies this compassion of God. Can you think of any stories of Jesus where he showed compassion? Most of them, any specific ones? Somebody? Yeah, you'd have to speak louder. When the man came through the the man came through the roof. Yes. Sorry. The blind Bartimaeus. Yes. The widow whose son was like "You saw my notes, right?" (laughs) Uh, So, so, uh, what are any others? The people, you saw my notes as well. So, now this is good. This is good. You could actually pick, you could pick dozens of stories because you're right to say oh, everywhere. Uh, I'm just going to give you some quotes. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then later on, uh, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. And then this is feeding them. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been waiting with me now three days and have had nothing to eat. I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And so you can see Jesus' heart of compassion in these stories. And uh, Jithin mentioned the, uh, the story of the widow. Let's just read that. Uh, Oh, no, this is the blind man. Sorry, this is the other one. Uh, Behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. When they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in compassion touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. And then the, the other one, as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. See, his her weeping is touching his heart, and he's God, and his heart is touched by the weeping. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still, and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. So this is the Jesus of compassion. So I, what I would like to do is to just go back to our list. Uh, uh, sorry, I, I'd like to go to, uh, to talk about our experience of God. We've talked about the parts of God which are different to us. Like he's eternal, he's all-powerful. We talked about the parts that are like us, which we're much more comfortable with. But what's our experience of God? How do we experience these two things? Well, awe and wonder. Awe and wonder. When God works, it is extraordinary. I don't know if you've been in a situation where God answers a prayer of yours and it's almost like this is a holy place. This is, whoa, this is amazing that God should do this. And even fear, uh, there's a, there's a uh, God is scary. But on the other hand, there's comfort and there's excitement and joy. There's hope and ultimately love and security. So I want to talk then about how do we hold these two things in tension? How do we bring these two things together? And I think that the best uh, way of describing how you bring these two things together is with the words that Jesus said. As Jesus, this awe-inspiring God appearing as man, who can who can still the storm, who can walk on the water, who can do all these things, he speaks to us and he says to us, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. You know what a yoke is? When they would plow in those days, they would use... Uh, two animals usually they'd use use ox um, oxen um, to to do the ploughing, and these t- these these two cows would have we linked together with a, a wooden beam that went across their shoulders, which the plough would be attached to. So the yoke is what enabled them to share the the the, the task of pulling the plough. And Jesus says, "Come and be yoked with me, join with me, because I'll give you rest." He says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so the, the the anomaly is that the very place that is the most scary is the place that is the, the place of safety. And um and we need to respond to this because if you are not a Christian, if you are not following Jesus this morning, you are in a scary place. God is scary. And you have two choices. You can run away from him or you can run towards him. If you run away from him, there is no way you can go. There is no way you can go away from him. But he invites you to run towards him and to, to see that he is inviting you. And he says, leave behind all your, all of your stuff. Leave behind all of the things that are, that I hate. And come to me, and I actually will provide you with a refuge. Jesus offers to be your shelter, uh, to be your refuge. I want to end with one story, with a final story. Um, uh, a couple of centuries ago in England, there was a, there was a place, um, called Cheddar Gorge. And Cheddar Gorge is a, is a, a, a valley. It's like a, a a, a micro version of the Grand Canyon. It's it's this valley and um it's uh it's got cliffs both sides. And there was a man walking down this this valley called Augusta's Top Lady. And he as he's walking down, there was the most terrible thunderstorm in his life. Have you ever been in a thunderstorm that's like really scary? Like you know, you can see the flashes, you know you can see the trees catching fire and you know it's really scary. Um and it was that kind of thing. And he wasn't near buildings. He was like right in the middle of nowhere in this, in this gorge. And this rain is coming down and the flashes of lightning and it's scary. And as he's walking down, he sees this overhanging rock, this big overhanging rock, um, with a place that you can actually go in and you can be sheltered from. So he goes in there and he shelters from it. And as this is happening, as he is, is, uh, uh sheltering from this, the picture comes into his mind that this is actually what it's like to, this is like what God is like. God is like the storm, but actually God provides the shelter. So he wrote the, the famous hymn, Rock of Ages Cleft for Me, Let, My, Let Me Hide Myself in Thee. And um, Anne and I actually went, visited this place on our honeymoon, and um, I made Anne get into this particular place, which you can still see where it is and took a photo. I'm not going to embarrass her by showing you the photo right now, but, um, you can actually see where this story happened. <laughs> but I want you to imagine you're in this, this thunderstorm and it's like, it's terrifying. And this is God. This is God. But God also offers you a place of complete safety where you're accepted and, and you can see the flashing and lightning outside, but actually you're completely safe. And actually you're so safe, you can just enjoy him. The amazing thing with Moses was, Moses is described as God's friend. And Moses would talk to God, even though it was the most terrifying experience of God a human can have. Moses could just talk, because there's something about God that he can create this peace for you in the storm. And I'm just going to give you the last um, verse of this song. Rock of Ages. Uh, When I draw this fleeting breath, when my eyelids close in death, when I soar to worlds unknown, see thee on thy judgment throne, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. And what he's got here, the storm is actually God, like the judgment throne is God. The scary thing is that this is the great judgment. Yet, God is not only the scariness, God is the safety. And God is the security. And God is the one who gives hope and love and peace. God is the one who sees the weak, the weak in the dust, and wants to raise them up. And so what my goal is this morning is for you to be able to hold these two things in tension. I'd like the worship team to come out now. And uh, I'd like to um, just for you to try and engage with those two things. That here's the God who is so terrifying, and yet you don't have to be frightened of him. He's still awesome, but you don't have to be frightened of him because he offers you a place where you can be protected and secure. And so let's just pray, shall we? And uh, we'll we'll just uh, express our praise to God. Father, we praise you that you are the God of the universe. You are the God who spoke words and everything came into being. You're the God who is so passionate about, about evil and getting rid of evil that you will determine to root it out of your universe. But yet, Lord, you're the God who, as Jesus Christ, saw the weakest and the lowest and had compassion on them and sees us, and thank you, God, that you provide a place for us, to take refuge. And so even though you are still awesome, yet you are so tender and loving towards us. You're so gentle. We want to praise you for this. And we want to thank you. We want to say to you, God, we come to you. We run to you. And we hide ourselves in you. Amen.